people, we are all the way up and you know what it is. It's another Wednesday with your boys on The Faction. That's right, and I'm not by myself. I have the valedictorian with me, the father of Jackson and Jordan, Mr. Atlanta GB. What's up, fam? Hey, 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 what's going on, good brother? How is everything? I am doing well. Now, what the people don't know is that while you're doing the show, yeah. you're also on double duty yeah. as the young man is watching you work. He is watching me work. You know, this is creating, I'm sure, a very interesting scenario because he's his eyes are fixated on me as I talk, which is kind of neat to see. So there's no telling what kind of cool nuggets he's picking up watching uh daddy work so yeah it's kind of fun Man, can you imagine the, the the you know everybody knows that that the clacks are also now expecting a baby yes uh so we're hoping for a boy can you imagine the type of podcast they may do in let's say 20 years oh my gosh they may hologram into people's house it it who knows what would happen by then it would be absolutely crazy i mean who would have thought 20 years ago that we'd be in separate cities doing these shows just simultaneously as though we were in the studio together and it's so funny because i've had people contact me and say this th this is a literal question i just got about weeks ago mm -hmm. how do you three fly to each other on wednesdays to do the show and then fly back out to do uh your home events on wednesday nights <laughs> and i tell them we're not telling yeah we're not telling Listen, we, we, we are hologramming and beaming me up Scotty and all those kinds of cool things, so I love it. Now, if you're old school, you remember a guy who they called the flight jock, who was Tom Joyner, yes. was the first person to work on the same day mm -hmm. in two different cities. How he got the name flight jock, well, now everybody kind of does it. You know, it's yeah. nothing for you to do. Now preachers do it. You have a Sunday mm -hmm. morning service in one state and a Sunday night. But Tom Joyner, the yeah. very first, shout out to the flight jock. He's retiring this year, I think. He is retiring this year. I hope he continues his cruises, though, because from what I understand, they are kind of uh, standards and, and hallmarks in our community. Maybe that's what we want uh, Eric Bischoff to do or someone like that. Oh, Just Lord. do a, a wrestling cruise in the twilight of your career. I think at this point, Eric Bischoff is just good to grab for interviews. We don't need him in prominent positions right now because, yeah. I don't even know if Eric, Eric's not a great interview. As much as Eric is more of a knowledge during the interview of not even wrestling content, but just stories he's lived. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I mean, we just need a story. We don't necessarily need his yeah. input on like a whole bunch of new things. I do think that Eric would be a great reality show producer, though. And I think yeah. that, you know, the one thing that we realize is that Eric was more of an executive more so than a wrestling mind. Well, and, and not just that, but, you know, it's getting Eric to show up to work. But that's another story. Wait, is that? I, I hope we're gonna. I, I, I didn't see that on the run sheet. That's a. That's but is, a, yeah, we we might, saying that Eric up to work. Well, have you heard Eric's discussion and description as to why he was fired? They, they said that he wasn't migrating to the current company culture. Well, but he was very elusive about it. He had nothing but great things to say about WWE, and he said if he. <laughs> And he said if he could do it again, he would just hope that he could meet Vince McMahon's standards. So to me, I'm just like, this dude wasn't showing up to work or he really wasn't putting his all in. Wow. I mean, he, he well, wasn't. You know what, which is a shame 
because he he actually moved his family to Stanford. He did. They actually got a place there. Uh, looks like they're they're now tearing it down, as he said. He and his wife wouldn't leave until November, and I thought, man, you know, with the type of money that we assume you guys make, you leave immediately. But evidently, he put down strong roots, and in his podcast, he did say he's going from Stanford to Florida for the holidays to hang out with his family, then back to I believe Wyoming, Wyoming. where he's from. Yeah. So this. It's- it's happening in Wyoming. People are hanging out there. I've never been. Well, Wyoming is, you know, if you've lived a, a, a hustle and bustle of a life and you want lots of peace and quiet where no one will bother you, nobody's checking for you in Wyoming. So Nobody's checking for you in Wyoming. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty crazy. Well, listen, if you guys have uh, been missing the faction, well, we've been missing you guys. You know, we were off last week. We were all traveling and uh, doing quite a few things. All in, traveling. All of us, which, you know, usually two of the three of us are somewhere stationary. So we were all traveling. Um, we did give you a quick hit uh, this past Monday, which we'll delve into a lot more. So the best way to stay connected to us, of course, is to follow us on social media and make your make sure you're subscribed to our podcast. Wherever you get your podcast, just search for The Faction Show. So we've got a brand new episode for you, a lot going down today. Uh, Courtney, tell them what's up for today's show. Welcome to episode 187 of The Faction right here on Bonafide Radio. We'll kick things off with, we've kind of said it, but Bruce Pritchard is back at the helm of SmackDown in the creative director spot. Also, the legend Taz joins AEW. We'll discuss NWA Power, AEW Tag Team Tournament, NXT, Raw, and SmackDown. And guess what? I think there's a pay-per-view coming up soon. We'll probably talk a little bit about that. But before we do... We already said legend. We might as well stay legendary. It's Skillet's Legendary. You're listening to the action on Bonafide Radio. That's radio the way it's supposed to be. It's me, CGP, the king of Bada Bing, the master of the diamond cutter, the three-time, three-time, three-time world champion and CEO and founder of DDP Yoga. You're listening to the faction on Bonafide Radio, and that's not a bad thing. That, my friend, is a good thing.
Hey, it's Courtney of the Faction that was legendary by Skillet GB. Let's get the news, fam. All right, so there's a lot of news to get into. We kind of delved, I mean, a whole lot. We delved into this a little bit on Monday with our quick hits, but I really wanted to have a full fledged conversation about huge news coming out of Japan the official launch of New Japan Pro Wrestling of America. That announcement came on Monday with a lot of interesting details. For one, this has apparently been in the works for a while, and phase one of it was the big supercard, the G1 supercard that happened in Madison Square Garden. Um, phase two was when they had the uh, opening of the G1 Climax in Dallas back this summer. And when they did that, they actually did surveys of the fans to find out what they liked, what was of value to them, what was of interest to them. And one of the things, interestingly enough, was something that you've talked about over time, Courtney, which was a need for the wrestlers to be connected to the fans. When there is a deep connection, fans are all in. So they paid attention to all of that. They launched the LA Dojo, of course, this year. And so now they have officially launched New Japan Pro Wrestling of America. Here's kind of the plan for it. So the plan for it is in 2020, they're looking to do about 25 shows during the year. 
um, those shows will happen for the most part in the off times or opposite the shows that are happening uh, in Japan. So if the Japanese crew is handling a show or there's a tour there, it won't be happening here. But during their off time, it'll happen here. They're looking to use primarily New Japan stars and stars developed in their dojo, which you can then make the assumption that they will not necessarily be partnering with Ring of Honor. Maybe there will be a partnership of some sort, but as of right now, it looks like it'll be all New Japan all the time. They're focusing on uh, specific regions, so they're going to focus on the West Coast, the Midwest, Texas specifically, the East Coast, and Southeast. Uh, And they're looking to do a certain amount of shows in a certain amount of cities in each of those spaces. They're looking, as far as TV goes, to uh, remain in their partnership with Access TV. And they're looking to also still broadcast on NJPW World as often as they can with these American shows. And where they can't, they'll have it video on demand. They're also looking to be in venues uh, of about 2,000 seats. And once they get to a space of regularly filling them, then they're looking to do a bit more. So, pretty solid plan, a pretty a serious rollout and the first show is going to happen in November uh, first weekend in November first full weekend in November like the 7th or 8th or something like that uh, first show will be in San Jose the second show will be in LA that LA show oddly enough is on a Monday night which I think is very interesting and uh, that weekend they'll be having meet and greets with some of their big stars and that weekend will also mark the final appearance in the US of Jushin Thunder Liger. As you know, he'll be retiring at Wrestle Kingdom in January, but his final appearance will come uh, during this tour in San Jose and in L.A. All right, Courtney, in light of all that we have in the American pro wrestling front, what do you think of this announcement of New Japan Pro Wrestling of America? I wonder if, in all of his greatness, if they are a hair late. Here's what I mean. Imagine the stage play where the actor comes in and he's a little late. It doesn't mess up the entire stage play, but it does create a nice little hiccup in the moment. Let me attack it by saying this. New Japan, they have the money to get it done. Mm -hmm. They opened a dojo on the West Coast. Now, hear me out. A a wrestling group opening up a dojo is the equivalent to a Christian star in the Bible study. There's a church coming. Okay. (laughs) There is going to be a launch at some point. So they did that. I see the current state of wrestling as this, and you can disagree with me, but I bet you will uh, in in some way say that I'm right. This is all territories reimagined at this point. We have NXT, WWE, AEW, Evolve, ROH, Impact, and now New Japan is throwing there. And don't forget here in in, uh, Texas, we still have AAA. Sure. So this is really the 2019's version of territories reimagined with with. <clears throat> and you forgot the NWA, by the way. Oh yes, NWA. I'm sorry. Yes, NWA. Which I look to find out if that is the blank show across town a little bit later. Uh, so uh, we have NWA, and so now WWE plays the character of nwa mm-hmm. and now all the others played the character of wccw awa mid-atlantic georgia smoky mountain and all those things 
I think that because of where social media is, because of how accessible your own content being put out is, because think about this, people are now building storylines on social media Absolutely. more so than at, at the actual event. We have now become very territory-esque. We've just made the, the, the one territory all of America. It's an interesting space. I mean, certainly things have changed from a territory perspective and from a coverage perspective. Um, and now you've got a situation where, of course, you've got wrestling on or available new content pretty much every day of the week, which is pretty exciting yeah. to see. Um, how do you think New Japan will stack up uh, in this environment where we have a WWE, an NXT, and an AEW on top of the NWA, Ring of Honor, and Impact all making an impact uh, here in the States? What do you think this does for New Japan? I don't think it's going to be beneficial, GB. Here's the reason why. Because we have proven that we love our stars to be able to do interviews. I'm wondering how much of the language barrier of some of the guys that they would hang their hat on that are coming from overseas, how much that will play a part. Now, I feel like they have allowed AEW to kind of get a foothold and listen the locomotive that no one saw coming is nwa power agreed agreed it is the locomotive no we had no clue how thirsty we are for nostalgia mm -hmm. but here's what they knew nwa power knew that in the day of reboots they can reboot yeah i think new japan's in trouble well, I, I, I don't know that I think that they're in trouble. I kind of view New Japan Pro Wrestling of America the same way I view NXT UK. Um, I think what NXT UK did, which was smart, was obviously they built their own performance center. They built on the talent that was already there in England. They didn't bring over very much talent from the U.S. because they wanted to keep it authentic to UK wrestling. I think with this L.A. Dojo, um, one of the things that's going to be super important is this. I do agree that they're going to have to have stars that can speak English, but they're using a lot of American wrestlers in the L.A. Dojo. So that right. piece is already cared for, and it's an opportunity to create even more new stars. It's an opportunity for wrestlers who may not be able to get into AEW or WWE um, to have a space to go. I think this is going to be interesting, though. Like, um, I think New Japan, here, and here's why I think it's going to be interesting, because the strong style that New Japan brought to the game um, has now been impacted by AEW, really by all of the organizations, if you think about it. Think about this. Um, Mr. New Japan, Kenny Omega, is in AEW and is one of the cornerstones of AEW. One you of the cornerstones. You have uh, Shinsuke Nakamura, who, granted, is not the strong style he was then, but he introduced elements of strong style to WWE. Ring of Honor, we've seen Jeff Cobb and several others. The NWA has figured out its own particular thing. New Japan Pro Wrestling of America is going to have to figure out what will make it different than all of the other pro wrestling organizations that are here. And I don't. They're going to have to because. Right now, wrestling is like the chicken industry. Everybody has a sandwich. And everybody knows that WWE is Chick-fil-A and stand in line. My fear is that New Japan is going to be feathering thin. 
Well, let me just say this. We also now now no Southern fan. I love Southern fan Virginia. But, but I want to be fair though, because we also were skeptical about the NWA. We were skeptical about its return. We didn't know where it would end up in terms of television. We thought this may not work. And the, to, to the point where, you know, I didn't even go to the tapings because I wasn't sure of what we were going to get. But now all of a sudden, this NWA power is being loved by everybody from The Rock to, uh, you know, Walter to uh, uh, Corey Graves. Everybody's got something to say about NWA power. And so perhaps New Japan has a wrinkle in this whole thing that we don't know about that they might be able to bring into uh, the picture whenever it is that they debut whatever they're debuting. Now, what I'm curious to find out is will they will their Access TV slot feature uh, their New Japan Pro Wrestling of America yeah. stuff or will it just be, you know, what we know from Japan? How will all that work? I think those are all questions it that should. need to be addressed. If they're smart, CEO, I think his name is uh, Takami Obari, am I right? Yeah, because the uh, previous one, Harold Mage, has left, which is also interesting. That's interesting because he came from, was it Coca-Cola where Coca-Cola. he came from? Coca-Cola, yeah. Mm-hmm. That is intriguing because I felt like he would be the one to really lead them into the United States market. Right. So much to talk about. So, so much, much to think about. It's it's so interesting to watch. So we'll definitely keep our eyes and ears peeled on New Japan Pro Wrestling of America. Certainly you can stay tuned to us here at The Faction as we're going to have even more information about it uh, as that becomes available. But boy, what a huge wrinkle. So another big piece of news happening. Of course, as we alluded to in the first segment, Eric Bischoff is out as the out director, the executive director of SmackDown. Bruce Pritchard is in, and uh, it happened in kind of a weird way. Like, WWE didn't even, you know, wish uh, him well in his future endeavors as they've done. They didn't future endeavor him? They didn't future endeavor him. They just announced that the new guy is Bruce Pritchard. Um, And, of course, we had the WWE draft, which is finally complete. This, uh, well, actually, this past Friday was the first Friday of the Bruce Pritchard regime. Um, what do you think about this move with Bruce Prichard uh, and SmackDown? And who do you think really came out the winner of the WWE draft? There are two minds that I want to hear talk about wrestling. And that is Bruce Prichard and one James Jim Cornette. I can listen to those guys talk about wrestling because I feel like in every wrestling story that I ever want to hear, somewhere they were sitting in the corner taking notes. Bruce Prichard <laughs> knows more about wrestling than than any man besides Jim Cornette that I know of. Bruce Prichard has forgotten more about wrestling than I'll ever know about wrestling. Agreed. But here's what I what I also know about Bruce Prichard. Two things. Vince McMahon trusts him. Bruce Prichard has Pat Patterson type of access to Vince McMahon. The second thing is this. Bruce Prichard always thinks from the storyline first yeah which if clack were here he'd be excited about that bruce pritchard knows how to make a star why because bruce pritchard was there when they were fighting for their life they took the water coolers out of the building as they as they like to say (laughs) so if i have to trust somebody when i'm in a fight for my life i could probably if that person has evolved now here's the question gb 
evolution. Can I now trust you with billions of dollars? Ha I know your loyalty is there, but have you evolved to understand 2019 is not 1999? Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to watch how all of this goes down, particularly when you're dealing with what is now WWE's number one product, SmackDown on Fox. Um, and there's been a lot of, you know, question and concern about, you know, the health of SmackDown because of uh, what's happened in the ratings in these first three weeks and uh, and the like, which, you know, it is what it is. But I think that Bruce Pritchard, you know, has a great opportunity if for no other reason than he's actually present. I mean, Eric Bischoff really did not do much in his tenure uh, to impact the creative of SmackDown. And it was funny because we as fans had been watching to see where we could see Eric Bischoff's hand and fingerprint, and we couldn't see it. And we couldn't see it because it wasn't there. As opposed to Monday Night Raw, where we are clearly seeing the fingerprint and uh, the characteristics of one oh, Paul Heyman. Are we ever... It's incredible we to watch. Up? It's incredible to watch. So this is going to be interesting to see. Um, I do hope that Bruce Pritchard does some great things. And certainly SmackDown uh, has great opportunity in front of it. We'll see what happens uh, as we continue to take a look at uh, that particular moment. Again, Bruce Pritchard, the executive director uh, of all things creative for Friday Night SmackDown on Fox in AEW. AEW's done some pretty significant things as well. You know, uh, interesting ties here. Bruce Pritchard, of course, at one time uh, a part of the TNA Impact Wrestling family. Another former member of the TNA Impact Wrestling family has found his way on AEW. He's also one who's been doing quite a bit of podcasting, and that is the one and only human suplex machine, Taz, who is now a part of the AEW commentary team for AEW Dark, which airs every Tuesday on their YouTube channel. Now, this is kind of a big deal because, of course, you know, we remember Taz first starting his announcing duties as part of SmackDown and then moving over to TNA before leaving and exclusively spending time in radio and podcast land. Now, here he is as part of AEW Dark. What are your thoughts on Taz? working with AEW. Taz has always been a good commentator to me. He's one of the few wrestlers that made a very seamless transition to the commentary booth, and he was a good offset of Michael Cole when he was there. Yeah. Here's the cool thing about 2019, and I guess I'm just in a real trendy current state of mind today, is that podcasts have allowed these guys to keep timing. Yeah, they've been talking on a podcast. But they've had to stay relevant. Let me pull back. Let me go back to go forward. Booker T says the reason Eric Bischoff didn't work is because Eric Bischoff is not the type of guy to write down wrestling notes before he makes his morning coffee. He said Eric wants to have his morning coffee and enjoy it and then write down wrestling notes. He said Bruce Pritchard will wake up and write down notes and then make the coffee. I believe Taz is the type of guy who's lived wrestling first and any other industry second. Taz is a great addition. Cody is making all the moves that's legitimizing where we are and what we're doing. I love it. I'm excited about it. And I think this AEW Dark is going to be a win. AEW Dark, I think, is a brilliant move. It, it, it in essence, ends up being a second show 
with all separate matches, its own storylines and everything. It's a great yeah. use of, of their time. They're owning things and they're doing things that we believe that other markets have done. It's just that they have a larger microphone to say, hey, look over here. And because they've been masterful uses of social media anyway, it only makes sense to be able to create this show. You already have the audience. You already have the people. Um, you've got everything to do it. It, it makes sense. You know, and, and I, I felt bad for NWA for a while because I felt like Cody came in, saw their blueprint, took it, and made gold of it. But now I'm happy to see NWA now start walking in some of their, I'm, I'm in a churchy move, their harvest, if you will. I see. <laughs> because I was afraid that Cody and them had put the death nail in. Well, you know what? Here's the beautiful thing about what NWA has done, since we're now talking about NWA power. Um, now in its third week, which premiered yesterday, uh, NWA, I think, has found their niche. They found a product that's not currently on wrestling of any type, uh, of any brand, and they are making the best of it. I mean, we see clear superstars. We see storylines. We see interviews that actually matter. And they're able to do it all in a week. I know it's only been in a excuse me in an hour. It's only been three weeks, and I know after the first week you were talking about. I don't know. It's too much nostalgia. I don't know that I want to watch know. it. Okay, we're three weeks in. What are your thoughts now of NWA Power? I I have evolved because well, they pulled another the Lord, story. There's hope for you. Well, well, well. well here, here's the thing. I watch plenty of TV shows that I've actually binged. And I've had to fight through the initial episode. And by episode number three, I'm hooked for the next six years. Mm -hmm. Because they've told enough of a story that made me say, I am invested. Now, truth be told, there is some nostalgia to hear James Jim Cornette calling things. But you know what I believe in? Tim Storm. He reminds me wow. of what a champion looks like. You believe in him more than Nick Aldis? I'm sorry. Redacted. Nick Aldis reminds oh, me of okay. what a champion looks like. <laughs> got you. Got you. I want my champion in a suit because I'm still old school. Guys, sue me. It's the way my mom still wants a preacher in a suit. I still want to see if my if the champion's not coming down crashing music or you smell what the rock is cooking or doing something. I just I still dig a champion in a suit. Well, go go figure. You got your champion in a suit with Nick Aldis, who's now uh, spent one year, one calendar year as NWA World Champion. He won that title uh, for the second time last October during the NWA 70th anniversary event in Nashville, Tennessee, in a great two out of three yeah. falls match. He has carried the NWA for quite some time and much in the spirit of the old NWA. Lengthy title range. Champions and you can believe in. And so uh, I, I'll say this, the last weekend, the last week NWA Power had under 100,000 views initially, which is a little down, but still very much so up from the eight, nine, 10,000 that they were hovering around with some of the stuff they were launching. So I'm hoping that, that uh, support continues. And I'll say this, somebody took a shout out Big Wrestling One on Twitter who uh, took their time and did what we loved in the old Pro Wrestling Illustrated. They actually said, we're going to start rating the uh, wrestling shows. And right wow. now, NWA Power came in at a number eight. 
Well, I'll tell so you we're what. Signed up. Shout, shout out to our, our friends over at Busted Open. Um, uh, Dave LaGreca absolutely loves NWA Power, which I totally yeah. get. I mean, it's, it's absolutely worth it. So we're going to take a break. We've got some more super cool things happening. We're going to get into uh, Monday Night Raw. We're going to talk some more about AEW. There's a big injury happening in WWE that we're going to talk about and more. But uh, we've got some music coming up. Courtney, tell us the song that's up next. Hey, guess what? We're taking it there, boy, because we got swag and we're bringing the swag. It's a Street Profits theme song by CFO. You're listening to the picture on Bonafide Radio. That's radio the way it's supposed to be. This is a total package, Lex Luger, and you are turned into the faction.
And now an announcement. Ladies and gentlemen. Look, everyone. Belle and Ebenezer are in love. No, silly. Haina's in the building. You can now listen to Bonafide Radio, courtesy of our new mobile app. Available for the iPod, iPad, and iPhone. Come on, you can do Find it. Find out the latest news, check out our podcast, or listen to us live. Listen. Right now on your phone. Oh, yeah. Download the app today via the iTunes App Store by searching for Bonafide Radio or at iphone.bonafideradio.com. I'm living in that 21st century. We got something to say. Listen. Would you like to take your business or service to the next level? Yeah. Consider adding Bonafide Radio to your marketing plan. Can't wait. We will gladly share your product with our listeners in a creative, efficient, affordable, and professional manner. This is so gnarly. For more information, scroll to the bottom of our website and click advertise uh-huh. or email us directly at sales at getbonafide.com. I know you're going to dig this. This is Tracy Lynn, and I want you to take a journey with me through the jazzy side of Bonafide Radio. Every Tuesday at 2 p.m., tune in to Melodic Grooves right here on GetBonafide.com or via the Bonafide Radio app. Bonafide Radio, radio the way it's supposed to be. We are the faction. Yo, it's not a faction without the facts, son. Hey, welcome back to the faction. That was Bring the Swag by the Street Pop Profits. Oh, Lord, I almost messed that up. CFOs, you, you know what they did. GB, let's get it. What happened? Well, of course, today is Wednesday, and that makes room for what is now the 2019 Wednesday Night Wars between AEW and WWE or NXT. Now, for the last three weeks, head-to-head, AEW has won in the rankings and uh, the ratings, making uh, keeping at least a million viewers a week for AEW, which is a pretty yeah. significant, significant moment. So in our, 2019, that's, that's, that's decent. It is, particularly as a brand new company, third week in, a uh, fairly crop of new wrestlers for uh, the wrestling population. And so there are questions being asked, what, if anything, does, AE, excuse me, does NXT have to do to combat AEW? Well, many believe that NXT's in-ring product still reigns supreme. But there's thought now of taking this to a larger venue on a weekly basis. So it has been rumored and reported that NXT is already looking come 2020 for larger venues to showcase their weekly show. Moving out of uh, Full Sail, which seats honestly about four to five hundred people. Which is hard to compare to uh, when you're looking at the eight to ten thousand every week that show up to see AEW. Do you think that NXT needs to move venues? Should they keep things where they are? And what, if anything, do they need to do um, to try to beat AEW in the ratings? Or does that even matter? I don't think it matters. I think they have to keep the main thing the main thing, which is this. NXT, they call themselves a future of wrestling, but let's not get it twisted. They're also a training ground. Now, because of how good they are, because of how great they've been, and because they were bringing in guys who are already seasoned, we no longer took them as a training ground. I think that they run the risk by putting the show on the, the show on the road 
of landing in places that don't suit them as well as as uh as a uh, full sale. NXT in full sale is a vibe. NXT inside of a large basketball arena is a vibe because of takeover. I'm uncertain if we're ready for a week after week of them going to a basketball arena. So the GB, GB, I think the real question would be if they travel, do they go after 400 seat capacity places or do they go after 3000 seat capacity? Do they go after 7000, which is what AEW or are they still going at the 10 to 16 like Raw and SmackDown? So my thought on that is a couple of things. First of all, there was a great experiment that was done at the top of last year where a full sale was being used by some other organization during the normal NXT taping time. So they brought their NXT tapings to right here in Atlanta um, at the uh, very, very amazing Center Stage Theater. Uh, it was sold out every night. Um, they did three nights of tapings uh, in February, in January and in February. Uh, it was sold out. Triple H was there. Absolutely loved the vibe. And what was amazing to me was one of the guys who's a full sale regular was present there. And we had a conversation. One of the things that he said was he said the full sale crowd, because they are so used to NXT, they don't respond as they should, but there was an electric. But there was an electricity there uh, at the Atlanta show that he was like, "We are giving Full Sail a run for their money." Um, I think now that they're getting USA money versus WWE Network money, whatever that looks like, obviously it's more. Um, they can afford to take the show on the road. I think this. I think if they're smart, here's the thing: for most people. Um, NXT has been doing their traveling um, and in, on their road shows their road shows are almost always packed because NXT doesn't get to your city very often so I think the idea that NXT could come to your city uh, and do a TV taping and you know it's going to be live, you know it's going to be amazing, um, I think people would show up. I'm, I'm with you in the sense that I don't think that they need to do the 10 to 15,000 seat arenas. I think you need to do that and save that for takeover because just like New Japan has taught us, when you regularly do smaller venues and then you do your big show in a larger venue, the show itself automatically feels bigger. Automatically. So I the, think they, the show itself feels bigger. Yeah, so I think they need to now, use... Go ahead. Center stage seats, uh, I want to get this right, 1,050, of course, when you put a wrestling ring or for boxing, per se, you can look at those numbers. We're looking at down to 650 people. GB, you said it was packed. I know it felt raucous in there with 650. So I would push them to say, shoot for venues of less than 1,000 as you get the ball rolling. Well, but here's the thing. They're NXT. NXT's already doing house shows. And those house shows are in spaces that seat 1,000, 2,000 people. I think here's the challenge that they have. The way that uh, AEW Dynamite is shot, when you have a lot of people and you have amazing lighting and you focus on those crowds, it makes it look even bigger than it already is. So if you look yeah. at the way that uh, NXT is shot, NXT, they have a packed house. 
but when the when the uh, matches are happening, the lights go down. So there's no focus really on the audience. So you're having you you got the show is shot in two very different ways, and I think that makes a difference as well. You can't deny that when there's a lot of people, there's an energy and a vibe that's undeniable. They don't need to do a ten thousand seater. I think if they stick to a five thousand seater on a weekly basis, they're going to make more money and they're going to do bigger things. I yeah. think. Yeah, I totally agree. One of the places that that uh, NXT travels to is right down the street, Dade City Armory Arena. Uh, you know, it's shocking that places are still called armories these days. Right. But the Armory Arena, I don't know how many people they hold, but I know that those are spaces. They're in the Dade City Armory, the Maxwell Snyder Armory, the Lake Lakeland Armory in Lakeland, Florida, Orlando Live Event Center, the Menrich Hall in Largo, Florida. There's some money out there in Largo. Right. And the Reserve Pavilion. I don't know any of these places, but guys, if you're listening, if you know the capacity of any of these, we'd love to know it. Write us uh, on our uh, social media, whether it be Facebook or Instagram, the Mark Lentz Armory. I would love to know the seating capacity of some of these places that they go to. Well, one thing I think is certain, I think those particular shows in those armories have a specific design. Those are designed to be smaller shows for their developmental talent to actually get opportunities to get reps in before they end up on TV. So I don't know that they're going to do away with those, um, but I do think that they're going to have to do something to make their TV shows a little bit bigger if they're looking to actually have a comparable program. I totally agree with that. Speaking of a comparable program... AEW is jump-starting into their tag team tourney. We're already in it. Week one, our minds were blown. When Tana elimination happened and Young Bucks are no longer in play, GB, we're going to play the long game. If you have to choose who's the first AEW tag team champions, who are you picking? It's crazy because we're down to the final four right now, and uh, that final four will go down tonight. I, you know, I think Private Party have to be your guys. Really? So I do. So, so wow. I, 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 well, here's here's the thing. Private Party kind of turned the wrestling world upside down. They have so much going for them right now. The world's loving them. Everybody's leaning into them. Everybody's Private Party. I am still a fan of. Are they called LAX? They're they're not. Uh, they're just called by uh, Santana and Ortiz, but they're not in the tournament. They got. Wait a minute. See, that's how fast wrestling moves. They're not in the. They weren't. They weren't even included in the tournament. They came in after the tournament what? brackets happened. They should swerve them. Let them in. Can you imagine them as the first champions? No. Here's what, what I think is going to happen. Here, just a quick prediction. The titles are going to be determined on October the 30th. So a week from today, the finals are going to happen. I think whoever the winners are end up fighting Santana and Ortiz at full gear, their big pay-per-view in November, and that's where they win it because Santana and Ortiz are connected with Chris Jericho as part of the inner circle. So now you have the inner circle holding the bulk of the belts, or actually all the belts in this case. So can you imagine it? Jericho beats Cody. And then Santana and Ortiz take the tag titles. Man, inner circle rules everything. And you know how much of a mark I am 
for a faction holding all the gold. The be- and that's one thing that NXT has over AEW right now. You've got the Undisputed Era. And this is the thing, right? So let me just say this. I feel the need to say this. This, You know, you talked about the 2019 culture. Here's the problem with the 2019 culture. We take one week or two weeks worth of stuff, and all of a sudden we want to go ahead and forecast gloom and doom or high-level success. Listen, here's the reality of it. The war for uh, the Monday Night Wars was a six-year deal. It was a six-year deal. And 83 of those weeks, which is uh, almost two years, were won by one company. And nobody turned off Monday Night Raw because they lost in the ratings. Let's not try to throw NXT under the bus and say that pro wrestling is done because, you know, you only have a certain amount of viewers um, for for these products. Let's be honest. More people are watching wrestling right now than they have in recent memory. And there's a lot to be said for that. I totally agree. And let, let's not discount this. Is while I believe Vinny Mac is playing no game, I think Triple H is playing the long game. Yeah. Triple yeah. H is playing uh, chess. Well, I believe AEW still has to play Connect Four. Well, and, and we have to remember this too. AEW is still a new company. There's still a yeah. lot that they are learning. I'm going to tell you yeah. now. There are moments, you know, where from a production perspective, they're doing great. But if I match their champions against each other, there's not really a competition. Adam Cole versus Chris Jericho, while that would yeah. be a dream match in any day of the week, Adam Cole would really run circles around yeah. Chris Jericho. Adam Cole would have to slow himself down. He would. I mean, he really would. He would. And, and truth be told, NXT, though older than AEW, is still for the young people. It absolutely is. And I think we just have to be, you know, we don't need to play this game of ratings every week to try to determine who's really winning things. Because the truth of it is this, the in-ring content of NXT is still crushing. Their stories are uh, consistent. And I'll tell you one thing that all of this has done all the way across the board. We don't see as much random talking and random skits happening. There's a lot of stories being told in the ring from NXT to AEW to the NWA. Now, here's what's funny. Even SmackDown and Raw, if we're honest, you remember earlier this year, you know, segments on both of those shows would start with five to ten minutes of just talk. And now I mean, it's maybe two minutes to talk and a whole solid match. And they're having a lot of solid matches on these shows. So I think that the state of the wrestling industry right now is a really special place. It's a really, really good thing to see. And I'm excited about it. Speaking of Monday Night Raw, let's get our uh, recap of what happened on Monday Night Raw, courtesy of our Raw Report. And Courtney, take it away. WWE Raw was live from Cleveland, Ohio, the land at Market Morgan, Rocket Morgan Fieldhouse, I should say. Things kicked off when the Nature Boy, and I'm not certain if Nate was drunk or his dentures were slipping, but Nate came out, acknowledged a few other little Natures, said some derogatory things, but named Drew McIntyre as the final member of Team Flair. As he said, Drew McIntyre defeated Ricochet. Aleister Black defeated Jason Reynolds. Rusev attacked Bobby Lashley in a restaurant with, I'll talk about that, following King's Court insults. Andrade defeated Sin Cara. Uh, Singh de- Sunil Singh defeated R-Truth to become the new 24-7 champion. Raw Tag Team Champions, the Viking Raiders, defeated Zack Ryder and Kurt Hawkins. 
Cain Velasquez brawled, didn't brawl, kind of just jumped on and Mm-mm-mm. did something with Tino. Shelton Benjamin, Universal Champion Seth Rollins defeated Humberto Carrillo, and the Street Profits defeated the OC in their Raw debut. GB, what did you think of Monday Night Raw? Uh, I think Monday Night Raw is starting to settle in and figure out their identity with this uh, new draft and new announced team. Um, I have a lot of thoughts. First of all, shout out to the Street Profits. What a good look to be able to main event Monday Night Raw. Yeah. These guys, yeah. I mean, you know, Montez Ford is a star. I mean, like, and I'm telling you, he's rock level star, star power. Like, it's serious. And so to me, to see them continue to be who they were in NXT just turned up even more. That excites me. That really, really excites me. Not just from the perspective of an African-American tag team, but to see an NXT talent come in, be themselves, and not have to be squelched. Uh, and really get a great rub from the OC. I thought that was fantastic. Kevin Owens coming out on their side as well. That's a win, a big win. I think the Monday Night Raw, they're not getting the credit for bringing us some really quality matches. There's some great in-ring work that's happening. That match with Drew McIntyre and Ricochet, fantastic. It's great to see Drew McIntyre back. Uh, it's also interesting to see Ric Flair returning as a heel. He's not really been that as a legend in WWE. Yeah, but he, he's better off his rocker, though. Oh, well, he's definitely off his rocker, but that's him. He's the crazy heel, um, which is what he has to do in order for people to boo him. So uh, it's pretty nuts to see. This Rusev, Lana, Bobby Lashley oh. thing. I I don't I didn't know how I felt about it when it first happened. I know this is the mind of Paul Heyman. I know this is leading to something, but uh, I saw somewhere where they said, you know, uh, and I can't remember which wrestler it was, but he he said, you know, uh, as advice to Rusev, be careful about angles with your wife, uh, because most folks who do angles like that with their wives lose their wives. Um, so I, it's it's putting Bobby Lashley back on TV. It's salacious. It is uh, it it it's it, it's I, I don't know. I'll tell you what though, there was a moment when he came in that restaurant, and what I liked about it was he wasn't giving him wrestling punches, and that's why I was like, okay, we got something. And I think you got to be careful because that's the kind of stuff the, where you get beat in the alley for. Listen, one uh. R&B Prophet said, too hot to handle, too cold to hold. Yeah. They called those busters and they're in control. Oh, yeah. I'm telling you, this is too hot for TV because it is, you see, in my younger 20s when I didn't know any better, I was entertained. Yeah. Now at age 41, I feel bad for Rusev. I do. I do. And it's uncomfortable for Bobby Lashley. Because Lashley, as as strong as he is, listen, one thing you don't want to do, I don't care how big and strong you are, you don't want to anger another man by messing with his wife. Like, you just don't want to do it. Skinny men get strength from out of nowhere to fight you, particularly if they love their woman. So this is this is uh, listen, dangerous it, it, territory. It, it, for, for sheer, you have pride and dignity. Yeah. Yeah, it's cringeworthy to watch. It is, 
But now let's talk about this Paul Heyman from a production standpoint. Mm-hmm. In 2019, Paul Heyman, we can tell when a restaurant is staffed by up-and-coming wrestlers. Oh, right, right, right. They have a certain look. And for Pete's sake, whoever Pete is, and maybe it's Pete from Saturday Night Live, <laughs> for Pete's sake, go to Hollywood and get some cop uniforms and stop picking scrawny rena cops. There's some cops out there who would, for the extra pay, come in and do the job. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. for real, for real, wouldn't be my wife getting out of bed with no doggone Bobby Lashley. No, no, no. I, I would have even wrestled him in that restaurant. It would have said Rusa walked in and shot Bobby Lashley. Yeah, and, and in this culture, this is what makes me nervous. I mean, if if think about this. If Brian Pillman pulled the gun in the 90s to defend his own house, what would a man do to defend his own wife? You know, oh, so... Man, that was- Man, do you remember going on raw ending and you're just like, did Pillman go to jail? Yeah, it was crazy. It was it was nuts. Oh, my Lord. So, yeah, all very interesting stuff for sure uh, that we'll be looking out for relative to Monday Night Raw. But I think that they're on to something if we give them time. You know, if we give them time, I think they're on to something. So we're going to take a break. When we come back, we've got much more to talk about, including we got to talk about uh, – Firefly Funhouse, Seth Rollins, uh, the the Fiend, and more. We'll talk about all of that when we come back. But right now, we're going to music from the new NXT Cruiserweight Champion. It's Leo Rush. It's his theme song. It's called "I Came to Collect." It's the faction powered by Bonnerfied Radio. I got a lot left in the tank. What's up, guys? This is Mark here, the world's strongest man, and you're tuned in to the faction.
Domingo Mejor. Born Stanley Martin Lieber in New York City in 1922, Lee entered the comic book world as a teenage assistant in 1939. Stanley Lieber was the Joe Jackson of comic books. Mm, I don't even know how to feel about that. Yeah, just, I, I almost think he was greater than a Joe Jackson. I don't know, ain't nobody greater than Joe Jackson now. Wait a minute. That's when you messed up. No, 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 no. Why you did that? Wait, why you did that? What I don't know why you did that, GB. Why you did that? Oh, Lord. Stan Lee had a whole universe down in, in his head, in his, in his mind. <laughs> The remix on Bonafide Radio. We hear Thursdays, 2 p.m. Eastern. Here on Bonafide Radio. Radio the way it's supposed to be. Exclusively on the remix. Don't miss it. Don't miss it at all. We are the faction. Yo, it's not a faction without the facts, son. Welcome back to the faction. This is Courtney Beard, and that was I Came to Collect, Leo Rush's theme song. Leo's back, huh? CFO. Yeah, Leo's back in a big way. He is the uh, new NXT Cruiserweight Champion, won that title about two weeks ago in a great match. And uh, it's, What a way to come back. What a way to come back. And, you know, it's interesting kind of watching the state of the cruiserweight division in WWE, the state of 205 Live, as we saw, and first of all, it went from the uh, WWE cruiserweight title to the NXT cruiserweight championship. Yeah. That cruiserweight title match marked the first time ever a cruiserweight title match was on NXT. Um, and yeah. then we saw in the WWE draft a number of 205 Live superstars drafted out including the former champion Drew Gulak. We saw uh, the Lucha House Party. We saw Umberto Carrillo. Um, a number of folks and some of the new people that are br being brought in are being brought in from NXT. There are all sort of rumors flow flowing about 205 Live. Did the WWE draft ultimately gut 205 Live and leave it ready for NXT? What do you think? Uh, they did, but it's the best thing for business because I think of the three things that can stand on to be SmackDown, Raw, and NXT. I think 205 was a very audacious, ambitious venture to start, but I think without having Triple H at the helm of it as he did for the uh, for the illustrious champ uh, tournament that we loved, I think it was bound to be what it was going to be. Sadly, I watched 205 Live the most when uh, what's the what's the, I, I can't remember his name now. The real one was the Enzo, champion. Yeah, 
Enzo yeah. was the champion because he was box office money. Mm-hmm. But I think putting the belt on Leo Rush, here's the reason why I say it's really good. Leo Rush cannot just go in the ring. He can't just talk on the ring. But outside of the ring, he creates his own content. Yeah. On Instagram and social media, Leo Rush does not mind leading the way and doing his thing. So hopefully... We can see more happen. I think the NXT crowd is okay with the pace of the cruiserweights. I think that, in believe it or not, actually this, the filming is better for cruiserweights. Yes. If you notice, 205 Live, the filming was not as good as NXT. NXT, the production, whoever's in the back switching on the cameras, lends itself more to the cruiserweight style and the luchadora style than it does to anything else. Well, think about it. It makes sense. The pace of SmackDown and Raw is, in general, slower than that of the Cruiserweights. And if you have the same TV crew shooting that, they're not prepared for the fast-paced nature of all things uh, Cruiserweight, which NXT, they already move at a faster pace. So I think it's a move that makes sense. That was the thing that worked for Eric Bischoff in WCW when he brought the Cruiserweight style to the United States and the and the, uh, the 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 vantage point and the thought pattern of I want to see a car wreck. That was the gold of having guys from the Atlanta Braves shooting and sports guys sure. shooting on those nights. It didn't work for the long run of right, wrestling because right. it can never get the consistent camera crew. But those guys were used to catching hard hitting action, mm-hmm. so it worked for cruiserweights, but not for long drawn out stories. Yeah. So. Pretty interesting stuff, personally, and and you've heard us talk before about what they needed to do with 205 Live. We said that they needed to shoot it uh, there at Full Sail. It needed to follow NXT. Well, now it's going to be engrafted, certainly it looks like, into NXT, which makes more sense because, quite frankly, watching that Cruiserweight title match in the middle of the NXT card flowed better than trying to watch a 205 Live full card after you've watched these giant superstars of SmackDown. Which, let me just say this too, I have an issue with this. I have an issue with the 205 Live stars being drafted to Raw or SmackDown and being handled as enhancement talent. I have a hard time with Drew Gulak being the Cruiserweight Champion for about six months and his first match on SmackDown ends up being a squash match against Braun Strowman. I have a hard time with the way that uh, Cedric Alexander has been treated. Here was a guy who was undefeated for a year. He comes on to Raw and can barely win a match. Um, Even Umberto Carrillo, who's definitely a star, it's kind of like this wild curse of sorts. If your first match is against a champion and you don't win, where do you go from there? So on Monday Night Raw, yeah. if you lose your first match against the uh, undisputed champion, the undisputed uh, Universal Champion, where do you go from there? Speaking of the Universal Champion, Seth Rollins, the Fiend. We had a hard time with what happened at Hell in a Cell. Now it seems as though they're bringing this back for a title match next week at Crown Jewel, or as uh, folks are calling it, the Crown Jewel. Um... What do you think happens here as they've now said the match can't be stopped, falls count anywhere? Where do you think this ends up? Does The Fiend ultimately end up getting buried, or do we see The Fiend become the Universal Champion? There's no way. I believe they're going to 
change belts. I mean, the, r- remind me of this. Have any belts ever been uh, won at Crown Jewel? Uh, no, no. I think I Crown Jewel is just a big money grab. Oh, it absolutely is a big money grab. We know Crown that. Crown Jewel is a big money grab. My question is, well, first to answer your thing is, I don't think Bray Wyatt wins. I don't know how, but some type of way Seth Rollins retains. But my God, how much money are they throwing at WWE that they can afford Tyson Fury? And Kane Velasquez on the same card. And Kane Luchador Velasquez in the same night? Well, we do know this. We do know that they signed a 10-year deal with the Saudis uh, that came out to like $400 million or some crazy figure like that. Think about it. I mean, Taker and Sean got like $3 million a pop to work that show um, when they My Lord. It. So, yeah, I, I just... You know, I'll say I'll say this much. I'll say this much. Of all of the cards that they've had for Crown Jewel, um, this one seems to be the one that might have most of us engaged and interested, uh, as opposed yep. to what we've seen in the past, which you know, again, just has been clearly a money grab. So I don't know. This is all so interesting. Certainly, next week we'll have our predictions on Crown Jewel and uh, a title defense for the champion who. Well, doesn't yeah. seem to be here. So if he's not here next week, I don't know what we'll do. But uh, we'll certainly well, figure that out. But yeah, go. For I'll it. tell you who may not be at the next crown jewel. Randy Orton. He may be at AEW. He, may, you know, this trolling that Randy Orton is doing, taking a picture in front of an elite sign, saying, "Hmm, this is interesting," um, and then he tagged a number of folks who either may be on their way out or may be considering it. Are we getting trolled by Randy Orton, or do you think he's really trying to tell us something? Oh, we're totally trolled. Yeah, He'll never go to the gymnasium for the uh, super kick parties. He's trolling because he can, and Trips knows it, and they're not going to bother him. Yeah, but I'll tell you one thing that could be a bother. We sat here, and we talked just a couple of weeks ago, wondering about the future of the Usos and Naomi. And at that time, we had gotten confirmation that the Usos were going to be a part of the premiere of SmackDown Live or SmackDown on Fox. Well, mysteriously, they weren't. Mysteriously, Naomi hasn't been. And it has now been reported that the reason that they aren't TV aren't on TV is because WWE has nothing for them at the moment. You're talking about one of the greatest tag teams of the modern era. You're talking about a two-time women's champion, and you have nothing for them. If you were the Usos and Naomi, how do you think this all should play out? You go to AEW. Hmm. You go to AEW and start the second half of your life. You could quite possibly be like a Hall and Nash showing up. But you go, I believe they bring you in as outsiders, as and they allow, they allow you to proudly bear the Samoan heritage. Hmm. that you have and you go in there and watch Cody's gonna treat you right can you imagine the great matches we can have between Usos versus uh, 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 LAX as I call them Mm -hmm. Usos versus the Young Bucks Mm -hmm. Usos versus is it Private Party Private Party Usos versus the Rhodes Brothers I mean we got matches fam matches for days or what a coup this would be for the Usos to be signed to New Japan Pro Wrestling of America. 
Here's why. I hope you hear the silence. No, no, no. You know what? You know why I don't trust you with this? Because here's the thing. Don't you think New Japan knows they're going to have to have some pretty big signings? Don't you think New Japan they, knows they, that they're going to have to have some folks to come out of the gate that the U.S. will care about? Now, they should go after Randy. That They would be, should go because they could offer Randy a lighter workload. Yeah, yeah. I think I think the possibilities right now in the world of pro wrestling are endless in terms of where people could go uh, for opportunities to be able to apply their craft, and it's going to be interesting to watch what happens. And don't forget, Randy challenged The Rock at WrestleMania and said, "Let's get it on." To which The Rock replied on Twitter, "You think Bob Orton Sr. and Chief Maivia, along with our pops Bob Jr. and the Soul Man?" Ran up and down those roads for decades, taking bumps just so we can sell out WrestleMania 36. So you can RKO my blank through the earth. No <laughs> way, I'm still recovering from 20. <laughs> <laughs> and again, we could be and getting. Rand, so I guess that's a no. <laughs> yeah, right. So so we could be getting trolled as well as we've been trolled before. So we'll see. Certainly, we'll pay close attention to it. We're gonna wrap things up, guys. I hope you have enjoyed the show. We've got something cool coming up later this week, which will tell you about but before that here's how you could reach out to us by way of social media courtney at c major beard on instagram and twitter courtney beard on facebook let's holla all right and of course you can reach me at bonnerfied on all aforementioned platforms and of course follow us at the faction show on instagram facebook and twitter coming up this friday we've got a very special interview uh as you've heard us talk about southern honor wrestling over time well we've got the general manager and founder of southern honor wrestling hanging out with us this friday exclusively on podcast his name is gary lamb you don't want to miss it it's going to be fantastic so stay tuned for that but until then it's courtney it's clack it's gb and we are the faction 